for the show that takes dog training beyond your backyard. It's Bark Talk with Bonnie. Brought to you by Advanced Canine Techniques, your dog training specialists. Good afternoon and welcome to our episode of Bark Talk with Bonnie this afternoon. Um, I am going to be solo on the show today and I'm going to be talking about different aspects of pet first aid. Um, As you know, in addition to teaching dogs household manners and basic and advanced obedience commands and teaching therapy dogs, I am a big advocate for pet first aid. Um, I think it's important for all pet owners to have some basic knowledge of pet first aid. Um, And I still want you to have a good relationship with your vet that Learning pet first aid doesn't diminish the relationship with your vet, but it will help you in case of an emergency where you're able to call and they might be asking you, what is your dog's breathing rate? What's their capillary refill? What's their pulse? If you don't know how to find those vitals, um, it's going to be hard for the vet maybe to tell you what they want you to do with the dog at home before you bring it in. So if there's things that you can do that would be proactive before you bring your dog or or cat in um, that might be suffering from some type of a first aid emergency, You know, we want, um, one, to help you remain calm, and two, to provide any life-saving measures we can to help those animals out. So um, what we're going to talk about today is just an acronym. Um, And like I said, I do encourage everybody to um, sign up for a first aid class. Um, I try to offer them about every other month. Hopefully, I'm going to be offering them more frequently now. Um, And I do offer them in different locations. In Muncie, I just did one at the Newcastle Animal Shelter. Um, I'm going to be trying to um, setting up one in um, Alexandria. Um, So I can definitely travel to offer those as well. But it is, it's about a four and a half hour class and we go through a ton of information. Um, How to pack a first aid kit, how to help with bleeding and choking, how to help um, actual rescue breathing and CPR, allergy bites and stings, snake bites, um, anything that you might think about covering during a pet first aid class. So today we're just going to go over that the acronym pet aid, what it means and how you can just kind of be a little bit more prepared and proactive with your pets at home. The P stands for protecting pets, people and yourself. So when you think about this particular acronym, you're really thinking about making sure that you're keeping everybody safe at home. Like if you have multiple dogs in the house and a dog gets injured, say it has a seizure, maybe it has a cut on its leg or gets stung by a bee, it may yelp or um, make noises or scream in in pain if it's injured. Well, sometimes that can have other dogs in the household want to attack it. Um, They kind of have that pack mentality where if there's an injured animal, they don't want to draw attention to themselves and have predators come and get them. So they want to make sure if there's an if there's an injury, they they quiet that animal down pretty quickly. So, you know, making sure that you have some good plans in place. You know, do you have leashes in a certain spot in the house? Do you have places where you can segregate your dogs if you would need to for some reason? But making sure that you're confining any of the animals that might be injured. The other thing is anytime that you are working with a pet, um, and this is more so for dogs, um, If you have a brachycephalic dog, so like a pug or a shih tzu um, or a bulldog, one that doesn't, that kind of has the little schmooshy noses um, or kitties, you're going to do more of probably like wrapping them up in a towel or a sweatshirt and doing more of a burrito hold on them as opposed to necessarily muzzling them. But you um, want to practice muzzling your pets. Um, I know I talk about this often and I know a lot of people are really hesitant to do this to your dog, but if you do it on a regular basis, and by that I mean maybe once a month. It doesn't have to be anything scary to your dogs. I practice this with my dogs routinely. I use a piece of felt, I can use a slip lead, 
basically I just want to have my dog stick their nose through the felt, um, tie the muzzle on them maybe for just like 30 seconds to a minute, and then I take it off. But if I do it often enough, it's not stressful to the dogs. They know that treats are going to be involved. And it's basically a very um, low-key experience for them. Whereas if they're in pain and injured and we have to put a muzzle on them to look at the wound more deeply, a lot of times then we're going to scare them even further. And then it also elevates our anxiety by trying to put that muzzle on the dog. So I can't stress enough whether you have a little, you know, cloth muzzle that you purchase from a pet store, whether you buy a basket muzzle for your dog, or just keep a piece of, um, a, a, you know, a strip of towel, a slip lead, um, a piece of felt. That's what I typically use in my first aid classes. There's a variety of different, you can use a leash, a shoelace. I mean, there's a variety of things that you can make muzzles out of too. Um, and we're happy to kind of help you, you know, teach your dog some of that muscle, um, muzzle desensitization as well, you know, because it's just helpful if you need to um, inspect them in any in any area so that they're comfortable with that, especially too if they are nervous at the vet's office or maybe nervous when you bring people over. I want them to be comfortable um, to be wearing a muzzle. It's never for a long period of time. You never leave a muzzled pet unattended, but it should be something where they put it on and they're not worried. They're low key. You take it off and it's it's you know very. Um, you know, non, non-threatening to them at all. Um, so you want to make sure you're protecting yourself, um, putting muzzles on, um, on your pet if you need to, making sure you're removing any um, other animals in the household. If you're in a park setting or you're in, um, you know, maybe near a busy interstate or something like that, you want to make sure that you're um, watching for traffic on both sides of the road. You don't necessarily want to go running into the road right after, you know, if a dog ran away, a dog is running alongside the road. If you end up getting hit, you know, or going to check on an injured pet that's laying in the road, you could also be potentially become a casualty as well. So the big goal with that P um, acronym is, or, um, letter is just to protecting pets, people, and yourself. So just making sure that you're checking your environment, making sure that you're keeping your dog calm and comfortable, making sure that ideally you're keeping yourself calm and comfortable. So typically, even before you encounter any situation with your pet, take a um, 30-second deep breath where you're just kind of, you know, looking, listening, just kind of, you know, amassing all of the resources that are around you, if you have a phone, do you have some, as I'd like to call, lifelines? Okay, who can you call? Friends, family, neighbors. You know, if you may need assistance while you're rendering some type of aid to, um, to your animal. So, so keep that P in mind, protecting pets, people, and yourself. Having some, you know, places in your house. Maybe it's, you know, you have different crates for different dogs. Maybe it's baby gates. But you just want to make sure you can separate your dogs if necessary. Have muzzles on hand and just make sure that you're aware of your environment, that there's nothing that is going to be coming up to you or your dog while you're trying to help them. If you if you are bandaging a wound or doing CPR or, you know, um, administering um Benadryl if they have an allergy bite or a sting. Those are all frequent um, first aid injuries that you might have to provide um, life-saving measures for. So the next one is the environment. And this is where I carefully want you to think about everything that's in your house as well as in your yard. 
So if you think about items that are in your house, um, a lot of times when you bring a puppy home, we tell everybody, okay, you need to puppy proof your home, take everything off of the coffee tables, take everything um, off of the floor, make sure your puppy's not getting into any laundry, getting into any cat food, getting into anything that they might get themselves in trouble with. Um, As the dogs get older, you kind of have to, you know, adolescent proof, you know, so now you're getting the tops of the kitchen countertops and you're getting the top of the kitchen table. But ideally, when you're talking about the environment, think about cleaning products that you use. Think about pesticides that you might be using in the yard. You know, a lot of times there's, you know, we spray on, you know, colognes and deodorants and, you know, fresheners and powders and makeup and things like that. And some of that might be somewhat toxic to your pets too. I know a lot of times the first thing that happens anytime you put suntan lotion or sunscreen or lotion on you, you know, how many of your dogs come over and start licking your legs or start licking your arms? You know, I'm sure a lot of you are probably raising your hands right now or nodding in agreement. But you carefully want to make sure you're reading the ingredients in some of those bottles, too, because some of that could be dangerous if they consume a lot of it. Now, probably a few licks here and there may not hurt them. However, you also don't want them to have any, you know, negative side effects or reactions to some of that stuff, too. Or if they're licking your leg every single day that you're applying that product, that could be um, something that could be dangerous, too. So thinking about the cleaning products that you use, stuff that you use in your yard, um, Um, Thinking about um, even making sure your trash is contained Um, anytime that your pets can get any place. I know for some families that have young kids, um, and I know it's kind of gross to think about, but dirty diapers tend to be a common chew thing for some dogs. So anything like that, or, or their own feces for that matter, can also be attractive to some dogs that you have to monitor and carefully manage. But the thing that you want to be aware of too is thinking about, especially your garages, where's your antifreeze? Where is your, you know, cleaning chemicals? Where is stuff that you might use to fix your car at? You know, dogs are very, they, they, um, observe the environment with their nose and with their tongue. So they they touch and smell and um, lick everything. So you want to be real careful with anything that they might have access to. Make sure that all of those items are put in locked cabinets, that they are put in um, places that dogs don't have access to. Um, Even like paint thinner and stuff that you wouldn't think dogs would even think of touching, you just never know. I mean, one lick could, could definitely cause, you know, an adverse reaction in your pet as well. And then carefully observe your um, lawn area too. And this can be if you own a home or if you live in an apartment complex or rent a home. You know, look, go around your home and just kind of see, you know, what kind of trees do you have? What kind of shrubs? What kind of flowers? If you plant a garden, is there anything that your pet could get into? If there's something in your yard that you can't identify, try to take a picture of it and see if you can contact either, you know, a um, either a local university um, natural resource, you know, class or organization or teacher that might be able to let you know what that plant is. I know sometimes there's websites where you can upload pictures and they can let you know what it is as well. And then you can do some research. Um, I know for certain times of the year, people like to give Easter lilies or poinsettias and some of those plants can be toxic to cats and dogs too. So you want to make sure anybody that's giving you gifts is giving you pet safe um, plants as well. So just just really carefully monitoring everything that's in your yard. Um, And then if you do take your dogs for a walk, 
be careful, especially in the spring and fall when people fertilize their yards, um, that you're not walking on yards that may have non-pet friendly pesticides or fertilize in, fertilizers in them. And even if your neighbors fertilize, some of that can blow into your yard if, you, if there's a windy day. So those are all things that you kind of really want to be aware of where you take your dogs for a walk. Um, in the winter, you want to watch out for those um, non-pet friendly ice melt that if you take your dogs, you know, to a pet friendly or pet store, most pet friendly stores are going to have the pet friendly ice melt in front of it. But some of those big box stores may not have that. So, you know, watching those ice balls that form underneath your dog's um, toes or between their toes after you bring them in from being outdoors too. But the more that you're careful with, um, items that are in your household too. I know where we're at. We have lots of hickory nuts and we have lots of nuts that fall within our within our yard too. So some dogs love to chew on and eat those. Some dogs might have a bad reaction to those. So you want to be careful if there are any, you know, nuts that fall off of the trees or if there's any like, you know, trees that, you know, your dogs aren't doing well with for whatever reason. But the more that you know what's in your yard, then you can kind of be aware of that and watch during different times of the year as well. Um, so definitely monitoring the environment and then also thinking about holidays. So let's see here. The next holiday coming up is going to be Labor Day. That's probably not going to be quite as extravagant as um, Halloween or Thanksgiving or Christmas. But you want to be aware of, you know, barbecue. Dogs are, you know, trying to jump up and eat something off the grill or lick something underneath the grill that maybe they're not supposed to have. Or, you know, Halloween, there's lots of kids coming up to the door, doorbell ringing all night long, kids in scary costumes. Um, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, what kind of, are you going to have a Christmas tree? Maybe you can't decorate your home. We, we have, you know, we're, we're up to six cats in our house right now. So whether or not we have a tree used this year may be debatable. I think last year we put a tree up and put lights on it and that's it. All the ornaments stayed in boxes in the basement. So that may be the same thing that happens this year. Um, or we might go to a little Charlie Brown tree <laughs> that sits on the counter. So, um, but you have to adapt your lifestyle for the needs of your pets. Um, and just make sure that you are keeping them safe with the company that comes over, the decorations that you put up, the products that you use for cleaning, um, and even just what you keep in your yard as well. Make sure you're using pet friendly. You know, if you are getting rid of weeds or if you are um, using different fertilizers, make sure that that stuff is safe or that it's completely um in the ground before you let your pets out. You may have to take your pets out on leash and walk them um, a little bit away from the area that was treated just to keep them safe. But dogs can absorb toxins through the paw pads on the bottom of their feet. So you want to be aware of that. So that's P, and then we just covered E, environment. And then the next one is T, so that stands for traffic. So that means watching where your pets are riding in the vehicle, as well as making sure that they're not chasing cars or running in front of cars, depending on how your driveway or household is set up. So when you think about traveling with your pets, you know, we always, and, and as trainers, we will tell all pet owners this as well, if you're able to confine your pet, that is the safest way to travel with them. You know, put them in some kind of a harness, put them in a seatbelt, put them in a in a carrier. One, it just, you know, makes your driving so much safer. Um, I can tell you my biggest pet peeve is little dogs sitting on the windowsill of a of a car where a person is driving. Um, and I'm so paranoid that, you know, and I see it all the time with like little Yorkies and I see it with like little, little tiny dogs. And they're just kind of balancing on that windowsill right there. Owner's driving his car, you know, owner breaks suddenly owner has to swerve one way or the other. I, I, I tell you right now, I'm, I'm going to have 
you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Because if this little dog ever falls out of the car and a person runs over it, I, I'm going to be I'm going to be traumatized. Um, but it's just so much safer to have them in a little carrier next to you. They have like little, you know, bucket seats that you can put the dog like in the in the console, or you can put it in the passenger seat. If you do put your dog in the passenger seat of your vehicle, though, please, please, please make sure that you um, disable the um, the power um, the power bag that goes off, the airbag that goes off. You don't want it to, to deploying. A lot of times they want little kids to ride in the back seat for that exact reason. It's too much force and too much power for, for a little body to handle. The same thing applies to your pet. So make sure if you, and then if a human rides in the front seat, just enable it again. You want them to be protected, but you don't want it to be going off, you know, and with, with a little dog in the front seat or, or a, you know, medium sized dog as well. Um, but the more you can contain them, it just is, it's safety for them. It helps with behavior issues, but finding a way to contain them is just so much safer. The other thing to be aware of if your dog is riding in the vehicle is, um, Cracking your window or turning the air conditioning on to, to provide them some airflow while they're traveling with you, but do not let them stick their entire head out the window. I see this all of the time. I see it on the interstate. I see it on highways. It's so, so, so dangerous for your animals. Um, I know everybody sees it and they think their dog is having a great time, their head sticking out the window and they're loving it, but you, what you fail to realize is... in. Um, rocks and stones and debris and little pieces of glass that often hit your windshield that might ping off um, and maybe cause like a itty bitty little crack, you know, can get into your dog's eyes. They can swallow it. It can go up their nose. They, it can hit them in the forehead. There's a lot of dangerous things that can happen if your dog stick their head out the window as you're driving down the road, especially if it's like a gravel road or a gr- or, or or you're driving really fast too. Um, sometimes even like little pop cans or rocks and stuff can come up and, you know, potentially hit them in the eye, could, could injure them pretty significantly too. Um, and then if they swallow any bugs and stuff too, they could always turn around and then throw up in your vehicle, which would not be fun for anybody. So um, being really careful with traffic in terms of where your dog's And even cats for that matter, hopefully most people probably um, put their cats in carriers when they travel. I would, I would never, ever, ever, ever travel with my cats outside of a carrier. I I do not think that would be safe. (laughs) Um, Usually they're in the very back of the vehicle (laughs) just because they tend to meow a lot. Um, But you want to make sure that your, that your pets are protected when they're in the vehicle. And then also doing training or management so they are not hurting vehicles that are coming up your driveway. They're not jumping on vehicles when they pull in to visit you. Um, even if it's dog-friendly people, you know, sometimes if they got a new car, they're not going to be real happy if your dog jumps up and scratches the vehicle either. Um, so just making sure that you're keeping them safe when you have visitors come over to see you. Um, the next letter is A, and that is for agencies and associations. And even as a pet owner, I think it's important to know what resources are available to you within the community that you live in. So, um, do you know? You know, where is the local animal shelter? Where are the rescue organizations? You know, sometimes there is a difference between a um, an open intake shelter, where a where a shelter will take you know anything up. You know, if somebody has to get rid of their pet for any reason, or sometimes they will only, you know, take, take certain animals if they're not for profits. 
But, you know, where is your closest vet? Where is your closest nearest animal emergency hospital? And making sure that there are different routes for you to know how to get there. Um, I can tell you one personal experience that um, that we had one early morning when we had to take our cat to the vet. We're going to the emergency hospital, and it's about 4 in the morning because that's when emergencies happen. They never happen between 8 and 5. It's always, you know, after midnight or usually early in the morning, and we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden we come up to a road closure. Um, and I, you know, in, in different states, it may be differently, but in Indiana, road closures happen frequently, and they often happen overnight. So, you know, construction workers are paving or they're repairing. So they close roads. They sometimes they make them down to one lane. Sometimes they close them all together. So you're trying to get to the emergency hospital as quick as you can, and then you run across a road closure. So you're already stressed and anxious and nervous, and now you're trying to take a detour to get to the location where you need to get at. So. Oftentimes, just be proactive in terms of, you know, checking roads before you go. Real, I mean, take, take a minute to look on the map, check your um, road closure listings to make sure that, it, you know, you have the most direct route to get where you need to go, um, but that you have access or, you know, if you're lucky enough to have an after-hours vet that can meet you at their practice, um, that's helpful too. But just knowing what your... Um, different agencies provide low-cost being and neutering. Maybe they offer microchipping. Maybe they have low-cost vaccination clinics. So, you know, looking at different resources, some of them offer transportation options. So you can just bring your pet to a drop-off site. They take it to a low-cost clinic. They bring it back. You pick it up at the end of the evening. So, um, you know, we, you know, you know, we do highly recommend spaying and neutering. Following your vet's advice, some vets will recommend waiting for the pet to become a year old, you know, just so that the bones and joints can grow fully or depending on the breed, maybe waiting until they're 18 months to two years old too. But, um, you know, I mean, unless you're planning to, um, you know, unless you are a breeder or you're breeding to, you know, make the breed stronger and better, um, we definitely recommend just, you know, spaying and neutering for a variety of, of health reasons as well, as, as in addition to the overpopulation that you see at local shelters too. But knowing where those different um, agencies and associations are and finding the right vet that meets your needs. You might be looking for a holistic vet. You might be looking for maybe a lower cost vet. Maybe you want a more traditional vet. Maybe you want a, maybe you want a female vet. Maybe you want a male vet. There's a variety of things to look at. You know, maybe you want one that's got appointments on the weekends or later in the evening. So there are a variety of different options available. So, you know, asking friends and family, you know, what vet might meet your needs or if you have a dog that might be a little bit more nervous, finding a vet that's willing to go a little bit slower and take their time as you're working with them as well. But just knowing about those different um, agencies and associations that might be able to help you with your pets as well, what resources that they offer. I stands for injury and or in, or the snout to tail assessment, injury and wellness. So typically, when I teach classes, or specifically when I teach pet first aid classes, we talk about there shouldn't be any part of your pet that you can't not touch, um, even if it's for a few minutes. Like you should be able to touch their paws, you should be able to rub their belly, you should be able to you know run your hands down the sides of their body, you know pet them all over. Um, but you want to make sure that you can touch them all over as well. So the more that you start with them and make that a positive, calming experience. And I like to call it purposeful petting. So basically, I'm running my hand over all of my animals, dogs and cats, but I'm kind of doing it a little bit more. I'm basically giving them more of a, um, not necessarily a Swedish massage, but more of a, you know, a specific um 
massage where I'm kind of just kind of feeling everything a little bit more in depth where I can kind of just, you know, touch for any lumps or bumps, scratches, bruises, you know, that way I could just, you know, it might not be something that needs vet care immediately, but it might be something I want to keep an eye on. If it is a fatty tumor, but it starts growing and growing in size or starts getting hard, or maybe it's in a location where it's uncomfortable for the animal, then it may be time that I need to go in and and look at possibly having it removed. But, you know, early um, detection, it means early intervention. So the more that you know what's normal with your pets, immediately lets you know what's not normal with your pets. Last night, for example, when we were in, um, we were in the house, all of a sudden one of my older dogs, you know, she came in the bathroom and she started like biting at the toilet paper roll. And then she came out and she started like scratching and, you know, eating at the carpet. And she's kind of frantically running around a little bit and gagging a little bit. You know, I could tell that that's not, not normal behavior for her. And I could tell she was trying to like throw up. So, you know, get some hydrogen peroxide, get her outside, you know, get her all taken care of. I'm not sure what, what she smelled, if there was a treat that she didn't agree with or what happened, but, you know, she's perfectly healthy and fine this morning, but it was that erratic behavior that she suddenly started displaying that I knew exactly what to do to take care of that. So rather than panicking, it just helped me, you know, take care of the situation, get her calm and comfortable. As soon as she came back in, she went right to sleep. So, um, and it made me feel good that, you know, I was able to take care of it, avoided having to take the, you know, pet to the vet at 9 p.m., and just made her, you know, a little bit more comfortable, you know, with a little bit of knowledge of pet first aid. Um, and then the last one is D, and that's for um, disease. And basically that's just, you know, zoonotic diseases can transmit from animals to people. So the, there are things that you want to do to protect yourself. So, you know, when you are cleaning the litter box, you know, handling, um, cleaning up after your pets in the yard, um, making sure that you're washing your hands regularly, making sure that you're... Um, disinfecting anything that you might be using. You know, if you do any volunteering at shelters or rescues, making sure that you're, you know, changing clothes before you come home. Um, we just were fostering some kittens right now, too, and one of them was diagnosed with ringworm when when he came home, too. So we're, you know, handling him and then um, washing our clothes and, and changing our clothes and washing our hands right away because we don't want to transmit that to any of our other pets, you know. Or if you volunteer at the shelter, you know, and any of the pets or the animals sometimes get giardia with the stress, that's something else that can be transmitted to other pets too. So kind of taking your shoes off or, you know, hosing them off or disinfecting them in some way, shape or form to make sure that um, that doesn't get transmitted to your personal pets too. But just keeping safety in mind. So that way you're not um, risking your personal pet's health, you know, if you're, you know, and and by all means, if you're able to volunteer or foster or donate or anything that you can do for a local rescue organization, you know, please do that. I mean, there, there is an overabundance of animals at all of those places right now. Um, and they need, they need all of the help and support that they can get. So the more that you can do to to help with that, um, we, we definitely highly recommend that, you know, we do that for our local rescues and shelters. Um, but we also want you to keep your personal pets safe as well. Um, so don't not volunteer because you're, you're nervous about the reactions. You can take your clothes off and change before you even come home and throw them right in the wash when you get home. So there's ways that you can protect yourself, but still volunteer and make a difference.
Um, and then last but not least, um, and I cover this a little bit with, in my first aid classes too, is just having a pet emergency evacuation plan. A lot of people don't think about this, but with all of the hurricanes that we've had happen in the last few years and different um, natural disasters that have happened, just making sure that you have, one, a safe place that you could take your pets if for whatever reason you had to. Um, do you have extra food on hand, extra medication? Do you have tr- you know, transportation, crates that you can put your pets in? Um, especially if you have multiple pets, can you fit them all in your vehicle? You know, or if not, is there a friend or family member that you could call that could come over pretty quickly to help you evacuate if you needed to? Um, if your neighborhood had a gas leak or if there were something that were to happen within your town, that can be an issue too. So just knowing how to prepare for that as well. Um, but basically, those are the things that we just wanted to highlight today. And again, this is just a sample, maybe just 25 minutes of what we cover in a four-hour pet first aid class. So just think how much more information you would have to be able to serve your pets as well. Um, that's all that we have for today. Um, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to um, having another episode next week. And I think I believe next week we have, um, we're going to be talking about pet trust, which will be helpful for you guys as well, knowing what to do if something were to happen to you in case of an emergency. So have a wonderful afternoon. Afternoon and thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Bark Talk. For more information, go to our website, advancedcaninetechniques.com, or find us on Facebook.